to the Consequential Podcast. First of the year, first of 2015, with Roger, say your name. <laughs> Roger. And Lucy. I'm not Roger. No, no. Good afternoon. Hello. Welcome back, both of you. It's been a month since we last did anything, because I can't stand you. Just do, do you feel better for a little bit of uh, I do feel a better bit for a little bit of rest, but we've been sat here talking about your underwear preferences for a half an hour. And um, I imagine it was educational for you. It really was half an hour there, Jesus. It was half an hour, yeah. Let's lo- not revisit one of the darkest periods in my life. Um, <laughs> but I was already with some recommendations for you. Shut up. Let's recommend some comic books instead. What have you been reading? Let's go with Lucy, since we've not heard from you in a while. I've been doing some reading. I read some stuff. Yeah. I read The Wicked and the Divine. I read the first trade and of that. Because that's, yeah, that's what we're talking about, about today. That's kind of the main reason I read it. Um, I will save discussion on that one for later. Do, do. I read Alex and Ada, which was also in the Image Humble Bundle recently. Yes. It's about robots, broadly. Broadly. I haven't read it yet, but it was um, one of those things that a lot of people uh, put on their best of year list. Interesting. So I will be checking it out as soon as I drag it out of Dropbox and onto yeah. one of my machines. Yes, I also have it via the bundle. That bundle was brilliant value. It's yeah. a good bundle. Yeah, if you haven't got it, buy the current Humble Bundle on Image Comics. It's first trades of a load of their best stuff from last year. Yeah. Yeah. I also read The Hospital Suite, which was a John Paul Salino collection. Um, had some of his I older... I know him. What has he done? He ha- did King Cat. He was King Cat guy. Ah. Um, lots of mini-comics for a long time. Big on the Denver scene. There's a cameo from... That old Denver scene. The Denver scene. <laughs> cameo from um, our good friend Noah Van Skyver. Ah. The um, Abraham Lincoln is sad guy. He turns up in in John's car at one point during the comic, so that was nice. Hmm. Um, And I read This One Summer about an hour ago. (laughs) Because I finally got off my arse and rendered it up onto you. Hmm. What do you think? It was good. I can't remember what any of you guys have said about it, so I'm not entirely sure what I should say about it. I just twatted on about childhood. Yeah, that's kind of it, isn't it? I think I talked about intergenerational misunderstandings. Oh, yeah, that's relevant. There's a bit of that yeah. as well. Yeah. Also, blue is one of the colours I can see. That's good. Yeah. That's good it's news. Nice. It was in a colour I could see. What if they'd done it like green on red? I'd have had a little cry. What about red on green? Are you basically blind in autumn? Kind or of. Or an ocean colour scene gig? <laughs> Christmas? <laughs> I try not to see Christmas. Okay, that's good. That's important. Is it like a sort of hallucinating strobing brown? Like a sort of acid flashback brown? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. It's you don't like it when people talk about your colour blindness. And I know that. And I'm sorry, but at the same time, you've been talking about your pants for half a fucking hour. <laughs> so... Let's talk about some of your other faults. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. It's open season! Open the book of grudges. Let us begin. I knew a guy who had multiple types of colour blindness and he claimed that he saw the world pretty much in sepia. Ew. So that's an option. That'd be good if you like really went at his corneas with like a Stanley knife or something. It would permanently look like an old time movie. Particularly if you gave him some sort of head injury that caused it to skip frames. 
I really didn't know where you were going with that when you brought up the Stanley knife, and I'm kind of not sure I like where it ended. No, I, I feel it might be a little cruel. It's okay, I he's a long a way away man. now. Lucy, tell us about the things you have been reading. So, um, Alex and Ada, interesting to know that a lot of people put it on their best of lists. Um, I found the art and the colouring kind of flat. It didn't have a lot of depth or interest. I think some of that is maybe because of the world they're trying to create. It's very sterile, sterile future. Nothing goes wrong here because we have good robots and not bad robots. Definitely not bad robots. Um, spoilers, they have bad robots. Ah. Um, yeah, the, the... You kind of expect that, to be honest. You, you hope so. If it's you, just... If it's a perfect world, why make a fucking comic about it? Yeah, you need you need dramatic tension, and nothing says dramatic tension like bad robots. Mm. Which is why Coronation Street is so beloved all these years later. Well, absolutely. All those bad, murdery robots just fucking up that Coronation Street. <laughs> Um, Everyone going for a pint at the robot's return (laughs) That was an excellent Coronation Street joke We've strayed (laughs) Um, Let's stray back It was like many things in the same sort of category, a not hugely interesting or engaging take on quite an interesting and engaging idea. So... Did you find that their attempt to simulate human feelings got in the way of all the robots? No, it wasn't that. It was, you know, Guy Guy doesn't have girlfriend, Guy lives alone, Guy mostly works, Guy's gra- extremely rich grandma buys him a, the most high-level human-esque android available on the market. He finds out he can jailbreak her because he's weirded out by how much of a robot she is and then wrestles with the decision of whether or not to jailbreak her and make her have feelings because, you know, surprise, the AI was capable of sentience, we just didn't tell you and blocked it because of that time a load of robots murdered people a while ago. Mm. You know, the company who makes his robot was in the AI race with the company whose robots went crazy and murdered everybody. And so, of course, they were going to develop that capacity, they just can't tell you they have it. So this this is, this is, this is iRobot. This is can can machines feel? Yeah. The manga version. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, this is with this some shojo manga. With, with with a quite boring guy whose problems I don't really care about, who happens to have a robot. Like the robot is kind of the most interesting person in it, and she's only really sentient for half of the last issue. And they see a sunset, and it's so beautiful because feelings. Oh. I was kind of I was kind of rooting for it. Up yeah, then, it's but... still it's still worth a read. It was interesting. Yeah. If I had happened to buy the second trade, should such a thing exist in a humble bundle, I would read it. Yeah. But I'm not going to go out of my way. Okay. I can't help but feel that given that both of you are sociopaths, it might not be the you might not be the target audience. If okay, I was about to say, really, does anybody care this much about robots and feelings? And then that just kind of confirmed my sociopathy. Well, <laughs> Tumblr. I do care about robots and feelings, just not in the way this comic wanted me to care about robots and feelings. Oh. I have much more complicated feelings about robots. And still reading Gunner Creek. 
haven't actually for a while. I've I've lapsed on my webcomics for about six months. So if we do do a webcomics issue, I will catch you well up on the Gunner Craigs. Gunner Craig is on my list of comics. I'm still reading semi mechanically. I kind of I sort of stopped enjoying it a while ago. Interesting. I hit that point with questionable content. Hmm. Not sure if I'll pick it back up again, but it's 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 something colourful to kind of shove into my face. It's like popcorn. It's like breakfast comics. cereal for your eyes. Yeah. Not even very exciting breakfast cereal. Kind of yeah. all bran, but not that good for you. Yeah. There's, a, there's a sugar covered all bran, isn't there? There's like... Is there, there's, there's frosted wheat. The, the one that's like pulled pork, but wheat. They've covered that in sugar. But the only reason to eat all bran is because you want to both hate yourself and poop right. I eat bran flakes for actual sheer delight reasons. I, I've got I've got feelings about bran flakes, maybe more so than robots. Okay. Tell us about the hospital suite. The hospital suite. Um, it is an autobiographical dealy, um, in which John, who is played by John, um, don't know why I said that. That was weird. <laughs> mm-hmm. I enjoyed it. Thank you. Um, John has. A lot of health problems. He starts getting really intense abdominal pains. He ends up going in hospital. They think he might have Crohn's. It's not clear what's going on. He loses a lot of weight. He feels shitty. Um, and it's about how he resolves those health issues and also some mental health stuff and also some general other health stuff whilst some autobiographical stuff is happening to him at the same time. There's a lot of stuff. Um, he is in Denver for a bit. He's in Chicago for a bit. There's lots of cats. I mean, he's the king cat guy, so there's going to be a lot of cats. You're going to get um, some cats. Yeah, it's kind of working on... So he's had a bunch of various health problems throughout his life. And he kind of talks in one bit about how he had a prostate problem that meant he couldn't have sex anymore. He got an ear problem that meant he couldn't play music anymore. And then his like digestive problems and mental health problems kind of make his marriage fall apart. So it's kind of a study in your health falls apart and then you lose everything you love. But it's also kind of intertwined with a lot of Zen Buddhist stuff. Okay. And some stuff more on the fringes of woo than I'm usually into in health terms. But hey, works for him. I'm happy for the dude. He seems less fucked up now. That's good. The art style is very simple but very effective. And he also does some of his mini comics from the 90s in the back. When I say does, I mean publishers. Um, So you can kind of see how his style has evolved since then. Which it has, which is interesting. I enjoyed it. It was good. Would you recommend it? Depends what you're looking for. You know, I just gave you a stream of consciousness there, and if you liked any of those bits, then sure. But I kind of did. I don't know. I thought I like the the, the sort of concept there that the whole your health falls apart and everything explodes. Mm. I think that might be mm. interesting. I can definitely lend if you want. And it's the hospital suite. Mm-hmm. Mm. Did I claim to have read anything else? We, we touched you on did, this one. You did summer. claim to have read this one summer. Okay. I did read it. I read Just it over now. by where the vending machine used to be. But isn't did anymore. the ambience? Not really. Okay. I was That's trying to find thing. something with less harsh lighting Sense than my desk, loss. but it didn't work. Is there still a lot of weird shit being stored there for some reason? Dominoes and yoga equipment. Yeah. When I say dominoes, I mean like the game, not like the pizza. Yeah. Why do we have so much yoga equipment? We have so much yoga. <laughs> oh, yeah. We got that yoga dish. Not us personally. No. No. I don't bend in those I directions. Can barely move. I haven't done yoga for a couple of years. I miss it. I'm waiting you, to blast my lower legs off and have drones haul me around. 
Maybe get like a floating throne. Mm. Floating throne, lasers. A flown. A flown, yeah. Like, Throating? No, like that's not Thanos in those popular films. This one summer. This one summer. It was about childhood. It was about the gaps between the generations. I feel we've covered it, it was well. About Canada. Podcast. We Canada. have talked about it quite a lot. Canada. We probably don't need to go into too much detail again. My Did only... it live up to your expectations? Um, yes, I think so. It was. In it reminded me enough of the other young adult stuff I'd read that I was kind of comfortable. You know, it's it's exploring stuff that's somewhat deep. It's not too deep. It, there's kind of a level at which a lot of young adult comic-y stuff is kind of pitched, and it felt very comfortably within that, and I felt very comfortable. I was like, you know, I recognise this item. I know what it is. I can categorise it, and that was good. There's a lot of talk about boobs. I feel like boobs are something that are only appealing to want if you don't already have them. So teenage girls and some subsets of heterosexual men seem mm. to be really into the idea of boobs and for some of those people the acquisition of boobs but I would wager that when you actually have them they're less of a joy and mm. more of a trial but they just they, there is a lot in there about the gaps in, in knowledge between the different generations that's true that is presumably one of them if they could have had a scene with some of the older women talking about how difficult it is to buy bras mm. that could have really nailed home that point how terrible it is to have boobs said mum yeah, fortunately it's not quite that heavy-handed, but no, in places it's not. it's not far off. No, I, I, I enjoyed it. There's, um, you might enjoy the, not prequel, but the previous thing by the same team a bit more. Okay. Um, Skim, mm-hmm. which is more high school. Okay. I was interested in, I kind of, you know, I've built a nice little liberal world for me where the people who say things I don't really like are on the internet and categorically wrong. But actually, it kind of made me remember how much teen girls just kind of shit-talk each other mm. <laughs> in ways that I really wouldn't be comfortable talking to other women I consider peers now. Yeah. They call each other slots quite a lot in the book. Yeah, and like commenting on each other's thighs and just stuff that is kind of squicky for me now mm. as a person who doesn't think that's a nice way to interact with other humans. But it made me, you know, it's always nice to be blown out of your little bubble of liberal comfort we're the only people who are wrong we enjoy Gamergate as a concept fuck those guys yeah a couple of weeks ago I felt genuinely genuinely guilty for fat shaming a dog how fat was the dog it was really fat important for me to know did you see it in person Um, yeah it was walking past Kit and I and I, I pointed it and laughed because it was chunky and ridiculous, and then I felt bad because I didn't want to hurt either it or, it or the owner's feelings. When you realised this, did Waitrose vouchers just start falling <laughs> from the sky like confetti? Oh gosh, you me I, I could have used some groceries at that point. I don't know why I'm talking. What kind of a dog was it? Um, it was like a little... Um, <clears throat> I, I think it might no. have been various. It was low... No. Okay, right. Well, I will. I will, stop, I will stop talking. What have you read? I don't know. Do you want me to tell you? <laughs> it's fine. I'm a grown up. Um, I have been reading hashtag Wikdiv, hashtag inevitable. Um, Orbital by um, Sylvain Renberg and Serge Pelle. Which is Wait. not the Warren Ellis Orbital, it's a different no, Orbital. It is. Um, is it the London Orbital? Well, the Warren Ellis thing is Orbiter. So it is. Um, so this is. Of course it is. <clears throat> this is a little bit more reality, not massively. It's one of the Cinebook 
French things, although I think Sylvain Rumberg is not French or might not be, I can't remember. Anyway, it's, um, it's I've, I've read the first three volumes, it's a five volume thing, although there might be a sixth on the way from Cinebook. Um, quite nice art, not as weirdly cribbed from photos as the Chimpanzee Complex, but also better than the Chimpanzee Complex. Same people or just... No, different people. But it's part of that run of... They did put out a lot of sci-fi in the yeah, last few years. slightly dour, not big weird sci-fi, but still quite big. Um, Near-ish, well, a couple hundred years future Earth, um, humans are space-faring, there's a gigantic um, intergalactic parliament, or galactic parliamentary thingy, humans have just been admitted to it after a messy war, and get it's, it's effectively a buddy cop thing with the first human... Um, it's been not unlike Mass Effect. It's, Mass Effect. it's, it's, it's <laughs> not unlike Mass Effect. It's and yeah, did the humans go to war with the Turians in Mass Effect? Yeah, they did. Yeah, okay, and it's it's basically Shepard and Garrus as a buddy movie, but they're peacekeepers. Can you get a body pillow of whoever is the Garrus equivalent for April Fool's Day? I hope not. Okay, that would be disturbing. There's a lot of really weird on the nose stuff in it. It's 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 quite good. Fun. Do you want me to talk about it more? I, I don't know. Is there stuff about race now? I imagine there might be stuff. There's quite a bit of stuff about race in it. Some of it's very clumsy. There's also a lot of stuff about um, prejudices and preconceptions. So the the first story is about some isolationist Earth colonists who you know get basically take hold of a mining settlement after the war and on a small moon and the um, government on of the planet the, the major the major planet eventually they hit some economic hardship and eventually decide they want the mines themselves this human settlement there is unsanctioned they would quite like these mines would the humans please get out and there's all sorts of racial tension and bits and pieces and it turns out that the colonists have something to do with isolationist terrorism and it just all gets a bit sort of messy and nasty so there's there's some there's some there's some racism stuff, there's some cultural politics stuff, there's some slightly odd writing about the, the alien race that the human guys paired with that they were at war with quite recently, the Sanjars, are, there's some slightly bizarre stuff about the way their gender works that is explained very, very badly and very clumsily. But other than that, it's, um, it's a pretty fun book, it's a big sci-fi universe, it's, there are shades of Mass Effect, there's quite a bit of, there are shades of Babylon 5 as well, um, it's fun. Excellent. Uh, again, I've written the first three. The second story, which begins in volume three, is by far more interesting than, than the first story. It's basically um, facing prejudices against ritualistic cannibal space gypsies. I imagine there are some fairly well-established prejudices against these people. Well, they so they um, whenever they arrive at a new planet to sack, they make a sort of sacrifice to the spirit of the place, and one of them volunteers to be ritualistically eaten. But this has then been parlayed into some fairly unpleasant sort of blood libel right. type stuff, and yeah, and they don't socialise very well with the other races, and you, 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 there's some fairly the other children. yeah, there's some fairly obvious stuff going on there, but it's it's quite nicely done. Um, started reading Berlin City of Stones by Jason Lutz. Not really going to talk about it because I haven't finished it, but it's brilliant so far. A bit like the issue with Berlin novels, a little more dour. And Copperhead. I've been still reading that by Jay um, Feber and Scott um, Kudlowski. Like your space westerns, don't you? I do. I'm enjoying the space westerns. Westerns. We're not calling them westerns. 
Spoistons. There's a poor in there. Yeah. It's an important poor. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. You people. Is that it? That you lot? No, no, no. I was going to say Copperhead's still worth reading. It's still quite slight, but it's very well done. It's from Image, isn't it? Yeah. It's one of your drunken purchases. Yeah, but now I'm reading on purpose. Oh, good. No, it's actually it's always good, good when you have a sense of agency that's not directly <laughs> attributable to your drinking problem. <laughs> we're not still doing the bingo, are we? No, we're not. You're still just doing being a shit. Who wants to know what I've read? Do we want to know? Uh, maybe. Uh, Is that customary? Yeah. Tell us a little bit. Not too much. I read Doom Boy uh, by Tony Sandoval, which is um, not a beer. Not a beer. Mm. What, what? Doom Bar. Doom Bar. Yes, that's a beer. No, this is a uh, a book about a sad boy whose uh, girlfriend died. Oh. And uh, he starts communicating beyond the grave and with everyone around him via the means of pirate radio and uh, thrash metal or death metal. Um, and it's what? Yeah, it's a, it's quite a simple little story about a guy pouring his heart out into this insane music. Mm. Um, and through sort of broadcasting and broadcasting to the weird voices they hear on the beach so broadcasting the same frequency and people picking it up on, on the radio and people making tapes of it he sort of becomes a celebrity but no one knows who he is or where he is um, and it's it's I don't want to say cute that sounds reductive but it is a, a, a sort of a nice little story um, How old is he? Beautiful art. Difficult to say. Probably about 15 or 16. Okay. Um, but it's the style is such that it would be very hard to tell. It's quite... Um, peanuts-y. They have massive, massive heads. Okay. Um, I can't sort of wholeheartedly recommend it, but it is really beautiful in places. The artwork's pretty astonishing when it goes beyond... Colour or...? Sort of, I'm, sort of I'm very, lim- very limited palette. It's a very sort of wide format thing as well. So um, I was picturing black and white. But, uh. It's it's color, but it's sort of um, mostly sepia hmm. um, or sort of low greens. It's, I think it's meant a lot like sort of like coast in autumn or winter, hmm. um, and it's quite sort of pen and ink. But it gets into big expressive painty stuff when uh, things are happening. There's a lot of cuttlefish in it. Space cuttlefish. Spottlefish. Cuttlefish. Cuttlefish. Space cuttlefish. Yeah, cuttlefish from space. Why are there space cuttlefish? Well, they're not really from space, cuttlefish. but they are floating because they're. Sorry. You know, from beyond the veil. The Perseus veil? Mm, no, the the veil between this world and the next. Okay. Uh, I was still stuck on Mass Effect. Right. No, mm. they're they're representative metaphorical cuttle, cuttlefish. Cuttlefish are brilliant. They are pretty brilliant, especially when they carry the voices of the dead with them. Mm. Feel bad about and eating something them now. Doom boy. Mm. How, 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 how do you, you eat them? Oh, we're a, not talking. He's a budgie. Like, well, that's what I, that's my only experience with cuttlefish. It's it's a little dried yeah, out one of the bird pets. You can totally cook them. They're, they're like they like squid. But you don't get them in budgie format and then soak them and then cook them. Do you get no, them fresh? No, no, no. That's, yeah. that's, that's the that's, bone. That's, that's the bone. That's the head bone. That's, yeah. that's the head bone. Yeah, that's basically all the... the, the they've basically internalised all shell and bone into that lump. I'm learning things about fish. Yeah. That's, on the podcast. that's the inside of a cuttlefish. Shit. Yeah. Don't know why budgies like them so much. 
fucking love those guys, don't they? Mm. Really Mine good. never really went for it, but he kind of had an anxiety disorder. Your budgie had an anxiety disorder. Yeah, he really did. He was afraid of socks and stuff. If you left the door open, he wouldn't come out of the cage. If you got him out of the cage by sort of unfair means, he would immediately fly back into the cage. He would, like, squawk up a blue fucking terror if he was a blue fucking terror in some ways. You know, if he was perturbed at all or there were loud noises. I feel like I'm learning things about your childhood. The Where does one acquire a furious agoraphobic budgie? The garden centre. <laughs> the, um... <laughs> <laughs> so they sell the pets. I know, I know. It's the budget zoo. <laughs> <laughs> the um, vet told us that for his claws, we should probably put tree branches in there instead of the little plastic perches, and he was so afraid of them, he sat on the floor of the cage until we took them out and put the plastic perches back in. He had a lot of problems. He wouldn't stay home alone unless you put the radio on. What the actual fuck? Well, where was he going to go? He died at my grandma's house. What? Well, we gave him to her after a while because we got completely sick of him. <laughs> no one really wants a, no one wants a prima donna budgie. No, my dad, my dad always said, why couldn't you have picked one of the stupid fat looking ones? They looked really happy you had to pick that one. <laughs> There's things wrong with him. I kind of felt an affinity with him. Yeah, you know, I was messed is, up. Yeah, is, I didn't like him harrowing. that much. <laughs> I read a comic. Good, good start. Called Say more. Innocence Lost and Found uh, by Roman Muradov. Innocence or in a sense, or is it, that the joke? That's the joke. That's the joke. Um, the main character wakes up one day to find that she has lost her innocence. Um, and everyone else in society can see this. And uh, it's a very surreal book, playfully surreal. Um, but basically, once she starts wandering out into what appears to be quite tedious society, everyone's immediately uh, judging her. And then she ends up in a sort of weird, elaborate, um, Steigian underworld, which is quite cheery and, um, and pleasant. It's very hard to describe because it's quite slight in the main. Um, the visuals do carry a lot. It is basically someone losing their innocence, going on a quest for it, um, and trying to figure out how to live in the sort of society judging her. But it's just absolutely beautiful. It's really, really stunning. I would heartily recommend anyone, anyone at all read it, because it's brilliant. Uh, it's from No Brow. It's very small. Like all those things you read. Like all of those things that I read. Is it pretty and nice? It's incredibly pretty, and uh, it's very, very smart, but without basically going through it panel by panel it's very hard to explain how pretty and smart it is mm -hmm. you have to trust me that it's very pretty and very smart and that those combine in a pleasing way do we trust him? not after the horse stuff mm -hmm. the man that would do that to a horse I don't, I, don't, I don't think I can ever trust him again I also read Unbeatable Squirrel Girl that sounds brilliant um, it's a Marvel book um, but it's written by Ryan North of Dinosaur Comics fame mm. uh, and illustrated by Erica Henderson. And have oh, I've heard, heard about this. Have you encountered the character of Squirrel Girl no. before? Um, she's a weird sort of vestigial nodule in the Marvel Universe. Um, whenever she turns up, she is inexplicably powerful. Like, she always wins. 
it is um, it is part of Marvel canon that Squirrel Girl has definitively beaten Doctor Doom um, using squirrels. Uh, that, that's her main power. She can talk to and control squirrels. Um, but it's she always is powerful. Slightly stronger than most people. Those are, those are her powers. Um, but still wins. Oh, always wins. Yeah, always wins. She has beaten Doctor Doom. Most people have never beaten Doctor Doom. Squirrel Girl has. Um, did you read Great Lakes Avengers about ten years ago? No. It was this weird little mini-series that Dan Slott did where basically it was every other place in Marvel Universe had an Avengers. So, mm. you know, uh, Iowa got Avengers and they were shit and they all died. Like, one died every issue. That was basically the gimmick. <laughs> Um, and Squirrel Girl was in that, and she survived. Um, she was the one that survived, and not all of her squirrels did, sadly. Oh. Uh, Does she have a fixed number of squirrels, or can she just recruit No, squirrels? she just had a main squirrel. Um, there's always a main one. Um, but yeah, she can command any amount of squirrels. It's very funny. Like, you know from the title whether you want to read that book or not. I do. And if it's you don't, you know by the author. Yeah. It's very Ryan Northy. It's very, very long bits of stupid expository dialogue that are funny I liked it I'll continue to read it not a fan? no it sounds charming very much a fan Mm. squirrel girl let's get us some squirrel girl Mm. squirrel ourselves up how does the fact that she always wins impact the possibility for dramatic tension? she's going to college oh (laughs) there's dramatic tension there yeah she's, she's going to college um and the, 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 in the first issue, Craven the Hunter turns up and they fight for a bit and then she has to talk him into going and fighting something that's not Spider-Man. Craven the Hunter is obsessed with fighting spiders' men. Mm. Um, it's, it's very silly. It's basically someone talking down a very large Russian man outside their dorm room while pretending they're not a superhero. <laughs> to be fair, it doesn't sound like she's very superish. She's merely slightly, slightly stronger she's than usual. Doctor and- Doom! Yeah, but you know, she could probably go quite inconspicuously, is what I mean. And she has a tail. Or in this, she has a gigantic ass. Because it's tucked into her trousers. Um, and she's very pleased with herself. She might have done better in Victorian times. So you could have hit yeah, that under a, little, a bustle. bustle. Yeah. Well, she could, join, she could do like... Um, I'm glad you two are having the same bustle. I'm all about that base. Yeah. So we're here today to talk about the Wicked and the Divine. Because that's the thing we do. Shut up. Stop saying hashtags out loud. It makes you sound incredibly old. It really does. (laughs) Like, even older than you are. I mean, we know you're doing it ironically. Um, But no one else would because no one else talks to you. That's true. Including your own family. Also true. So we're going to talk about the Wicked and Divine in considerable detail. Or we're going to try to. We probably don't have enough time to do considerable detail. So we'll do a detail or some. Do we, do we have enough brain to do considerable detail? We do, but they us. seem to be pointed off in the directions of... Dogs. Dogs and horses. And horses Moomin fear. Yep. Moomin yeah. fear. So we'll try. We'll do our very best. Uh, to, to give people some pointers on things to think about and sort of go into some of the some of the less obvious mythology behind mm. the book and, and, and talk about it. Who wants to do the, the sort of quick rundown of what the book is? Roger does. Ray. All right. Um, so The Wicked and Divine, um, every 90 years, Tumblr is in cotton. Um, you've got this... Um, 
you've got this loose premise that it, it gets traded on as the gods of pop stars. And the tagline, just because you're immortal, you're not going to live forever. There's this idea that every hundred years or so, for the last couple of years in any given hundred, twelve gods, implicitly always the same ones, or maybe from a fixed superset, it's not entirely clear, mm. um, are incarnated and live as sort of teenagers, as something like pop stars. The more I read it, the more I realise it, or the more I feel it's not really about music. But mm. we'll come to that. Um, they live, they die, they're loved, they're hated, they make an impression on the world. Their job for doing this is something to do with inspiration. That's not really gone into in detail, but it's touched on and there's clearly going to be more. And we see the current recurrence. This is the event where they reappear. We see um, various versions of gods, some of them quite obscure, some of them quite classic. Um, some of them not really gods, depending on how you look at it. And they are London-based pop acts. The previous ones appeared to be something in the Jazz Age. Um, Byron Shelley, the Romantics, were another iteration. Presumably, they'd have been the ones before the Jazz Age. I think there would be, a, yeah, there would be another lot in the middle mm. of that. I don't know what the what was big in the eighteen twenties, nineteen twenties, and then yeah. So the eighteen fifteen ish would the be romantic, the romantic, romantic. Um, the romantic recurrence would have had to end if they're if they're trying to even loosely stick with the calendar, it would have had to end in nineteen twenty four, and you have to ignore the fact that Mary Shelley then lived another thirty years. Um, yeah, because they're all meant to die after two years. Yeah. So Percy Shelley dies in um, eighteen twenty two, and Byron in eighteen twenty four, and then um, which is which gives you your two year bracket, mm -hmm. and then Mary Shelley lives for about another thirty years or so. Um, we could just pretend she didn't, though. Telling the children story. not to fuck poets, mm -hmm. mostly. Pretty much. Terrible business. Yeah. But um, so yeah, they they recur, and we don't know much about how and why. And then there's another character, sort of um, an anchor, sort of presiding over them. But it's um, it's the story of Laura, a fangirl who gets embroiled in some stuff, and that stuff basically is it's it's a wonderful Gillen's got it. It's a wonderful sort of one sentence pitch. Someone frames the devil for murder. Yeah. A fangirl mm. who doesn't have that much of a personality beyond being a fangirl. Yes. Kind of distressingly interesting. But she's, also she's, kind of awful. She goes to concerts and she has a dip dye and she's desperately, desperately in love with these celebrity fancy people who are gods. But completely rotating. Mm. Um, so you might, you probably picked up that she changes her self-presentation when she knows she's going to meet a specific one of them. Mm -hmm. um, and she seems to have rotated through in that sort of... A way I almost felt was being a little bit cruel about teenage enthusiasm seems to rotate. Mm. You're my most favourite. It kind of seems to spool through. Um, I don't know the way she the way she presents herself is is strangely configured. And there's a to me a distressing lack of background person. Mm. Well, the only person in it that gets any background person is um, the girl who becomes Lucifer, mm -hmm. and hers is harrowing. Mm. Yeah, she gets um, a little more than most. That's, I mean, it's actually one of my favourite pages in Wicked is the one where Lucy... But she's explaining about how Ananka, um, the kind of sort of avatar of fate, or maybe not, again, I'll come to this, but some kind of entity that sits off to one side from the gods and in some versions of Greek mythology. The actual cosmogony of, of the figure Ananka um, is weird and um, disputed, and depending on which version of Greek history and Greek myth you look at, she changes, and as does the role she performs, and she's... You sort of also get Themis in that role, but we, again, we can, we can deal with that later. Um, she, um, 
accosts the people that will become the gods, taps them on the shoulder, and they become deific. In the scene where she talks to Laura, Laura is staring out of a window into a back garden with a swing. You've got a, a little three-panel arrangement of a swing oh, in a dark playground, yeah. a cutaway. Sorry? You mean Eleanor, when, when she becomes Lucy? Yes, sorry, mm. Eleanor, sorry. You've got Eleanor is looking, is smoking out of the window. You've got swing, panel of back to her, and then an anchor set on the swing. Um, and then, but the establishing dialogue for all of this is talking about the fact that she's an only child, no brothers, no sisters, her parents were out. She's, she's in her early late teens, early 20s. It's making the same strokes as her mum, she can mix the butts in. Yeah, and very, very much foregrounds the only child thing. And there's an unused swing in a completely empty garden. That's just painfully, painfully sad. Uh, there's there's something there about not relinquishing childhood and about presenting yourself as a family. I think there's there's something about that kind of quiet death of everything good out in the suburbs. It's I I, I thought that was just that that I thought that worked really nicely. And there is this persistent refrain with the kids that become the gods about kind of escaping something. They're, they're very... Um, Cassandra is kind of mean to Amaterasu about her origins as some girl from fucking Exeter. Um, yeah. She gets called provincial quite a lot. And, you know, uh, Eleanor's, Eleanor's childhood is... By implica and I'm overgeneralizing from a fucking swing, I appreciate, well, and the fact that she casually carries a knife and looks fucking broken. But um, have you ever been to Exeter as well? I mean, it's not right. <laughs> but yeah, by implication, her childhood is probably quite unpleasant and loveless, and based on a, a, a very peculiar vision of family that her parents are performing. There's 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 a bunch of stuff to escape there. I have gone off at a rate of knots from a plot summary. That's okay. That's okay. I think that stuff that stuff's actually important. Is it? It focuses on that again in um, uh, in the sixth issue where we sort of meet Inyana, um, and he was again sort of very lonely and sort of the opposite of the sort of mass inspire of mm -hmm. lust and fertility that he becomes when he basically manifests as Prince. Um, of course. Well, of course it would be Prince. Of course it would be. If we want to look at it in <clears throat> in detail, there's a sort of there's a couple of big things to look at. The first is obviously there's a lot about identity. Um, so you've got the gods, and they're all um, essentially three parts. They're they're the god, they are the pop star, the pop act that they are, and they are the person that they were before, and they seem to be all three simultaneously. Mm. Um, Battle my heart, three person god. Way. A little bit of John Dunn. John Dunn. John Dunn. Well done. Fuck off. Please. Um, so that's that's sort of one thing to consider because a lot the the sort of human characters tend to as well be um, there are issues about how they present these. As you said, Laura doesn't seem to have much beyond her fandom, and I sort of read that as her searching for something. Well, you've got. Searching for self-definition. And I'm. this is going to get me into some fairly dicey ground if I push it too far, but you've got, for all of the characters, and even for the human ones, the thing that they... You've got the thing they perform, mm -hmm. um, the thing that they kind of start as or appear to be, and then, I, I don't know, some, there's, 
the, the thing that they are is, is is too glib, but you've you've got you've got performance origin and something intermediary for, for quite yeah. a lot of them. I don't think it's ever going to be quite that neat, but there is an element of people having these multiple um, multiple aspects and cycling through them. Um, so that's something that is sort of worth considering at all points when trying to break down the plot and analyse it, because we're basically doing cliff notes here. Um, and the only person we've met explicitly that maybe doesn't conform to that schema is an anchor, but, yeah, but well, maybe. An anchor, an anchor she has, talks about us a lot. She could well just be one of them. She could well be. Um, so an anchor is, in Greek mythology, the, the sort of mother of the fates and the weaver of fate. She controls the fate of all things and sort Depending of exists. Depending on which iteration you're looking at. Yeah, but, you know, broadly sort of exists outside of... Um, before human history in the same way that the Titans did. She was one of the things that was there. She was this force. Mm. Um, and so as a sort of wellspring for all of the other gods, she makes a certain amount of sense. Do you notice she's got a recurrent butterfly motif? Not that I know of. No, no but in the comic. Um, there's, well, there's the mask is usually a butterfly. Masks, yeah. it, it's pretty much always a butterfly, and there are quite a few um, images. So that's probably a reference to chaos theory. I don't think it's anything quite as glib as pop stars or gods, or pop stars are worshipped as gods. Um, but it's interesting the way that they're picked. So one of the things hmm. that... The lineup is is peculiar. Yeah, they're not all treated the same either. So, for example, one of them is Baphomet, who is... A crap goth? Like, Basically. he's a crap goth. He looks he looks like a shredded version of Ian Asprey. Um, he is glib to the point of stupidity. Um, but in a knowing wink to camera way that... In terms of the comic, hmm. I don't think he knows he's stupid. No, he... Um, and it's kind of difficult to sort of know why that would be... Un- I think possibly in his case it's because Baphomet is not really a proper god by any stretch of the imagination. Is he the youngest? Uh, would have been about would have been post Crusades, so quite possibly yes. Um, which does raise other questions about when does this thing start? Yeah. Um, he was eligible. Yeah. Um, so Baphomet was essentially was thought of as a, a Templar god, this thing they brought back from the Crusades and was used to tarnish them by the rest of the church. And, you know, sort of resurrected by Alistair Crowley and various others who've taken on Baphomet as a sort of Satan figure, which he probably wasn't originally. Um, but the sort of goat-headed leering Satan is kind of associated with Baphomet in a lot of ways. Or Krampus. Or Krampus. Or Krampus, yeah. It's interesting that it's kind of culturally appropriate to play with stuff from Shinto and to play with stuff from kind of, you know, Baphomet type stuff. Mm. But if, you know, if there were a Jesus Christ in the lineup, this would then become unacceptable. We don't 100% know that there isn't. There's That's still, true. There's That's still true. one spare slot. That's true. But, um, yes, I I'd be surprised. That I would be I'd be very, very surprised. surprised, given the tone of the rest of the canon of gods. Mm. But that is that is also a thing. So they tend to not... I think they all come from polytheistic pantheons. Mm. 
uh, not Lucifer, but well, and ba- Lucifer, or, a bit like Batman. Lucifer, Lucifer's another weird exception where not, not really, really a conventionally god. a god. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, ba- Baphomet seems to mm. essentially be a linguistic corruption of Muhammad. Yeah, um, mm. and the existence of Lucifer, although we haven't, we aren't told much about her, implies the existence of something not unlike the Judeo-Christian pantheon. Of course, because where else would she come yeah, from? Which leaves the open question of what about, insert name here, monotheistic mm. deity. Mm. Yeah, they don't necessarily play nicely. Um, there's that little footnote, well, it's not, there's the aside about um, little girl that doesn't realise cosplaying a Shinto deity is problematic at best and offensive mm-hmm. at worst. But insofar as it still remains problematic, pointing to it and saying this is problematic doesn't do masses to assuage it. No, unless the whole point of that is it is a Cassandra thing. You know, mm. she's saying it and she's right and no one's listening. So well, we're going to do it anyway. And that is kind of her thing, but how recursive do you get to be about that? I don't I, think probably mm. probably not that recursive, although it would be fun <laughs> if that was what yeah. was happening. I, 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 and Cassandra does the Cassandra thing. Right? Mm. It, it's, um, well, some of. It's... Not, not enough for my tastes. Mm. I wasn't sure where the name where the name came from and how deliberate she was being with it and how playful it was for, for clarification for those who aren't sodding English majors um, Cassandra is a seer of Greek mythology um, cursed by Apollo um, to, to always be right and never be believed yes broadly, broadly. also the um, daughter of Hecuba she gets a very messy ending sorry so yeah you've got um yeah, mostly polytheistic mm. gods. So Amaterasu and presumably and implicitly, although we've not... Is Cesano in this one? I don't think we've seen Cesano in this, uh, this, this is version. There or... Cesano is, um, is Amaterasu's brother. And mm. they're not... They generally fight and make up quite a lot in Shinto mythology. Um, Amaterasu is the sun. Cesano is thunder and lightning. Um, so he's yeah another. Still in relationship. Also, also appears exactly. as quite a few of them do in um, Sandman, particularly Season of Mists. Yeah, the mm. lineup of gods in Season of Mists is not drastically unlike is unlike but not entirely unlike the lineup in Wictiv. Yeah, so there he hasn't appeared. He's in the he's in the sort of when when it starts in the nineteen twenties. Mm. He is he has manifested it. Like. Is it but is it is his symbol in in this generation, or is it just a candidate for one of the empty slots? I believe. I think there's a mention of him not having turned up yet at some point. So yeah, they do say con- confirmed symbols. We've got Amaterasu, um, Lucifer, Sekhmet, Baphomet, Minerva, um, Woden. Woden. I assume that's the Morrigan. Morrigan. Blank, which I think gets filled with probably Bacchus. There's, yeah, Bacchus or Dionysus. Or Dionysus, which is going to be interesting. Inanna, presumably Tara. Yeah. Uh, help me here. Baal. Yeah, so the spare slot is Cezanne or someone else. Yeah. Which again throws out the question of, are we drawing from a superset? Yeah. Because it's when you look at the Jazz Age gods, it's not entirely clear who the Shirley Temple kid is. Mm-hmm. Could be a slightly messed up... Um, like, there's some... We, we were talking about this the other day, and that yeah. could, it's reasonable to suppose maybe Baal, but... Or not, Baph- Baphomet, or, given the stupidity, there's a sort yes. of gleeful idiocy of blowing <laughs> yeah. shit up. Mm. Um, but not, not totally obvious. No, no, it's, it's kind of hard to, mm. hard to guess. Um, Couldn't work out who Percy Shelley was meant to be either. 
um, Byron is Lucifer, and um, which Mary, Mary Shelley is implicitly Woden. It's Mary Shelley done as a kind of weird um, Odin figure in Marvel Thor kind of costume. Mm-hmm. Oh, he's the Morrigan. He's got a raven feather. All oh, right, in his quill. Talk to me of the Morrigan. Not familiar. Hey, this is my specialty. Um, kind of is. With being an ancient Irish person. Um, the Morrigan is uh, is an Irish, is basically an Irish war goddess. She's not death, but sort of perpetual war, mm. and she's the sort of chief villain of um, the Irish myths that we know of in Monday, which is basically the um, the Tain, the cattle raid of Cooley, mm. um, and she's a, it's a big fight about a cow. It's a big fight. It's about Ireland, a cow, of course, it fucking is. I think the cow might represent prestige. But, you know, it's, it's Ireland, of course it fucking does. <laughs> Sorry, Ireland, I'm you're, vaguely from you too, less so than he is. You're being very, very unkind to my people. Um, she's she's a, your, your classic tripartite goddess, um, although it's a little confused as to just because of the nature of the surviving sources mm-hmm. um, as to uh, as to exactly what who makes up those three entities mm-hmm. and they can appear. As you know, the single Morrigan, um, or uh, the three separate ones. Mm-hmm. So, and here they use Morrigan and Ian so, Bab. Uh, Bab or Badab or however you want to try and pronounce mm. it. It's not good to mm. Bav. Mm. Um, is, is that is that also the Mev version? Or? No, um, Mev is uh, is the Mev is a human in. Uh, in the capital. Oh, sorry, really. sorry. She's uh, she's the queen who sets the whole thing off. By, oh, right. So I'm very by confused. getting jealous and nicking a cow. Okay. Um, Fucking hell. So then everyone in Ulster has to go and get their cow back, and there's a huge battle, which the Morrigan loves because you know it's what she's it's, there for. Yeah, it's That's what her she's deal. There for. So she's um, she's basically the the scavenger of the battlefield. She's the one that wants perpetual battle because she's represented by the crow, and the crows come down and eat the corpses. Um, so she is sort of the very gothy part of the Morrigan mm-hmm. in this. She's the sort of the the proto form, mm-hmm. um, the the black haired one. Um, then usually you've got um, Macha or Macha, um, who is really confused in Irish mythology because um, there are a whole bunch of people with that name, and no one really knows which one's being referred to at any given time. Excellent. Which is especially brilliant because. Uh, the main sort of location in Ulster in those times was Emmenmacher, and that's being uh, sort of constantly referred to, and no one knows which Macher it is. But the one in this um, appears to be Macher Redmayne, who was a sort of angry warlike queen who eventually sort of became associated with the Morrigan and became a, a war goddess in later interpretations. I'm saying that because she's got bright fucking red hair, mm. and I'm assuming that's where it's gone for. Um, the third one is usually another war goddess, but I think in this it's... They call her Annie, so I'm assuming it's Anand or Danu, which is a, which is sort of like the representation of Ireland itself, mm. uh, in a way. or Not not quite, but she's a sort Looks of gen, like generally benevolent uh, benevolent mm. force. A sort Hence of, the healing. Yeah. Not that the, the concept of Ireland itself is inherently healing. No. We should point out no, for the sake of the health of our listeners. It's not. Um, but she's, yeah, she's not usually 
in one of the goddesses in the Morrigan, but it's not unheard of. No. Um, so... There's definitely a, a picking and choosing of the mythology that fits the story in this. Oh, absolutely, yeah. yeah but... And they do that, they do that <clears throat> with the version of Bar that you get, it's... Which, which becomes a semi, like a brief throwaway pseudo-plot point. Yeah, it's very hard to, to not do it with a lot mm. of these mythologies because the way that we know them is quite fractured. So certainly with Irish mythology, it's, it's all over the place. You have one main source or two main sources, the Labour Kabbalah and... and um, the Ten Book Helene, and then just scraps and fragments and whatever was not, whatever was left in the monasteries that weren't fucked up by Vikings. Um, or the English. Or Cromwell. Um, yeah, the good old hammer of the Irish. So yeah, Baal, Baal was, well, it's the Canaanite or Middle Eastern word for lord at the time in sort mm. of a lot of, um, and he's basically, in this he's basically a snappy address in Kenya West. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, and he's he's essentially the Phoenician version Baal Hadad, um, who is, yeah, it's it's another uh, another thunder god, a uh, lightning god. Mm. Um, you seem to get a lot of those, but then it was a big thing. No one knew why the sky was on fire. It was terrifying. It um, made a big noise, and then stuff caught on fire because of the shiny bolts. Yeah, mm. must then, have been a dude who was mad. Baal's an interesting one because it's not a well-known deity, um, but in the sort of sense of linguistic drift and flat-out libel that brought us some of the other gods, Baal was um, Baal became um, Baal Zabab, um, Lord of the Flies, mm. um, which was yeah, yeah, yeah. used as an excuse to try and exterminate the Canaanites. Um, so yeah, I guess most people's familiarity with him comes from the whole sort of false idol worshipping bit of the Bible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Essentially, um, the Canaanites and the Israelites were the neighbouring uh, uh, neighbouring tribes, and the Israelites won. Mm. So fuck them up good. So Baal became Satan or a Satan figure, and if your neighbours are worshipping Satan, it's a good excuse to go and fuck them up. You've also got the. When you've got a god and what is perceived as a false god, then the kind of mm. Satan construction of the false god is easy to come to. You might as well push it all the way mm. and really go for uh, getting people together to go and fuck those guys mm. up, because those guys are up to mm. no good. Yeah. There's some interesting stuff there, but obviously there were, there were various different ones. And Baal, Baal Hadad, the one that they use in Wigdiv, was not the sort of main canonite mm. one. It's mm. a Phoenician version, which came later when the Phoenicians were training around there. I like that with the exception of Lucy, so far they haven't exclusively concentrated on the more well-known, or at least more westernly well-known yeah, I think deities. Like, so, you know, Woden they've, done, they've probably... done nothing with really with Woden or Minerva. No, they haven't done much with them. Woden's sort of probably better known than most mm. in there. Although it's not in Action Odin. Yeah, it's an odd one. It's, um, it's an earlier sort of Chitonic version, which again started out as Wotan. And gradually became the Wu Tang clan. Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> or in this case, Daft Punk. Mm. Yeah, he mastered the thirty-seven symbols. Yeah. Um, what? Wu Tang clan jokes, man. Catch up. <laughs> um, yeah, there's some really odd and interesting choices about the gods that they've used in there. there could have been. Yeah, much much easier ones to go for and, and play with. 
Um, Does the fact that they're gods with whom most of the audience won't have that much familiarity, is that a spur to go and learn more about mythology or is that an opportunity to do more or less what they like with mythology in ways that their readers aren't going to pick up on as much as they would if it was someone more popular? Is it both? It's probably about both. It lets them make a bunch of jokes about Wikipedia. They have agency. Um, And while they... I mean, they do seem to play in in ways that are... But... Sorry, one of the things that has been bothering me is that there's an extent to which the circumstances force Lucifer to play out something a little bit like the Lucifer story. Mm-hmm. The, there's a degree of betrayal of not doing as not doing as she's told and of suffering, from suffering terribly from it for it. Yeah. Um, and if you cast an anchor in a sort of deific position in relation, then it kind of it kind of shakes out sort of a bit. Yeah. A bit. A little. Um, but Lucifer's very well known, so of course everyone knows that would happen. And if we take a kind of derived from human belief, or at least influenced by it, perspective on who or what they are... So it's interesting to what sense they have um, agency and what sense they're forced to act out their own stories. Um, So they definitely... I mean, they obviously all have elements of the gods in them, um, and elements of the people that they were, and uh, elements of the pop star they're meant to be. So um, Balvadad was sort of powerful making him Kanye West is kind of a pun on the song Power I guess also I think he might be the only one that oh he may be the only one that was a pop star before that possibly I'm not sure if it it's a, I'm, says... I'm over reading into one line but there's the whole thing about him so he's more comfortable in front of the media and he's got this line about thinking he was a god before he knew he was one mm. I think, yeah. Could have just been an arrogant asshole, but... I, I read arrogant youth into that rather mm. than previous career, but I read arrogant youth into a lot of things while still being an arrogant youth, so... <laughs> well, there's a lot of it sloshing around in Wicked and the Divine. Mm. Um. I mean, <clears throat> in a sense, it's largely about youth. Mm. Um. <clears throat> yeah, and there's... And things about it, identity play and delusion is a big part of it. When we meet Laura, she's basically um, doing cosplay, right? Yeah. The, the, the comic opens on cosplay with a, a scene not wildly dissimilar to the beginning of I Velvet. Was, I don't know if it's, it's um, cosplay in that sense, but I mean, it's, it's certainly getting dressed up to be closer to the thing. Yeah. And as she's applying her makeup and talking in a sort of slightly naive teenage way, we then have just the very clear scene of her saying, I wish I were a god, while she stands in front of a toilet. And there's a lot of that tone shift going on around identity play, I think. Mm. There's, there's some quite interesting moments of... It would be very easy to look at that and see her as a silly, deluded child. Um... But then we see a world in which gods manifestly do exist and people can arbitrarily become them and you kind of, yeah, I don't know where I'm going with that. It's kind of interesting on a meta level that teenagers generally, in terms of publishing comics and books and stuff, lack the skill and experience and connections to do that successfully. So inevitably all the the kind of cultural portrayals of teenagers come from people who are much older, yes. either as observed phenomenon or as memories of youth past. That's and some kind of... authors, and Gillen certainly has done plenty of this, do it quite a lot. Mm-hmm. I th- think he's probably better at it than, than a great many are. That's true, but I mean, it's... 
I'm getting sort of personally, mentally, I'm getting very far down currently a rabbit hole of experience speaking for itself of, you know, women talking about what it's like to be a woman and people of other groups talking about what it's like to be them. And I don't think I'm not going as far as saying it's appropriating being teenage, but it is looking at it through a very different lens than the experience itself. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it clearly resonates because Tumblr's fucking full of it. But I also I don't think that's. I mean, in the specific case of teenage experience, that may be different to some of the other types. Oh of, yeah, types absolutely. Of I'm not. About. Yes, but I I don't think it's necessarily a problem. Um, in the specific case, or necessarily in the general case. I mean, in the general case, or in the other cases, you. It's a thing that can be done well or badly. It's true. Yeah. Like most things. Different voices are important. I, I've i lost where I was going with that, sorry. Different voices are important and I like it when those voices... I, I don't know, I'm having a big sort of personal shift towards I like it when you talk about what you currently know, not what you might have known once or what you've observed of others. And that's not... you know, mm. that's, that, I'm writing off huge swathes of things that have been created by saying that, but... Yeah. Um, that, that's my current hang-up. But you know you're doing that and you've got some pretty compelling reasoning around why the perspective you're looking for is interesting. So I have no problem with that. Okay, well that's good. Don't let that stop you creating a comic about your sad budgie. I'm not going to create a comic about my sad budgie. I can't possibly know his experience. I mean, I've, I've had anxiety myself, but not bird anxiety. I'm not saying you should try and put your own feelings onto the budgie. I'm saying you should write the budgie. Be the best budgie that you can be. The rest of the podcast will merely be squawking noises. It did sound like quite a mournful budgie. Bird calls. Quack, quack. <laughs> I always want to use bird calls. No one ever wants to use bird calls. If we need very a signal. Little, very little use for them. Most of the time we've got mobile phones. Yeah. For a second true. there I thought you said bird core and I thought this was a horrifying new musical genre. No, but I'm into that. <laughs> Just flapping and pecking. Yeah, a lot of screeching. Mm. There is, of course, absolutely no music. Or almost no music in the Wicked Design. Yeah, that's that's interesting. Music is barely represented in it. Mm. Um, There's a lot more of the going to a musical event as bearing witness as sort mm. of religious experience correlation, you know, in, yeah. in, in, in a non-subtle fashion. Yeah. And I'm not sure that that's necessarily... I don't think that exists in as big a way as it did in the... sort of in the 20th century. I don't know if it's that or if it's just that I've personally stopped going. I wonder if it happens, but I'm not there anymore. It's di- yeah, it's difficult to separate those. But I think the way that, the way that partly just because of the way that music's distributed now, mm. um, you don't seem to get people who become as massive. There are, there are fewer sort of huge music acts appealing beyond the sort of Teenage demographic, the sort of young teenage demographic. I was going to chime in with that. I I think our demographic doesn't necessarily see them, but there are some massive crazes among the young people, and we should not write that off. So, what what I'm saying is not to sort of write those off, but I mean more the sort of um, the people with uh, longevity. Um, And who knows? Maybe maybe a lot of these guys will, but I don't. I can't remember any sort of for the last. 10, 15 years who've lasted or who at least haven't had to go away and come back um, within... There must be some... I'm, I'm sorry, I, I don't really get to talk on this one. I don't know a bloody thing about music. But... 
Um. I think maybe my kind of my visceral reaction to slash dismissal of the premise of music as religious experience for teenagers is you know almost entirely due to kind of personally moving away from that i will still go and see the people i went to see 10 years ago if they happen to be in the country but it won't feel like it's kind of piercing me through anymore i'll just sort of turn up and have a nice time and try and sit down if i possibly can Mm. it's a very different experience that's possibly part of it i just don't think sort of it's, it seems that the the record industry now doesn't create Bowie's, Beatles, even sort of the bigger bands from the 80s, mm. like those that are still with us, like you two. Mm. Um, well. Maybe Taylor Swift, I guess. What about, what about Lady Gaga? True. She's done, what, true. two, three albums, though? That's not, yeah, that's not Bowie, that's... It's not, but she's played it's... identity games and she's been quite culturally mm. affordant. Madonna as well, but again, that's sort of going back to the mm. 80s. Yeah, she started a long time ago. And arguably um, she wasn't really good after the 80s. Ah, she had some moments in the 90s, but everything mm. since that I could chuck in the bin. Sorry, I guess there are still a few, but it just seems that sort of a lot of the... A lot of the, certainly the bands that people would have been passionate about but maybe not lasted would have, are now lasting for an album mm. and commercial pressures push them out earlier. And actually, the way to become a successful artist now is to have previously had a Disney career. That's terrifying. Yeah, but it's kind of true. Yeah. Or sort of sneak in as a country and western artist and then go, go full pop. Yeah. And it's mm. so good. I'm going to put it on in the car later. I don't know any of this this music. I've got it on a compact disc this, right there. Is this Ms. Swift? Yeah. Which, if you guys want to ride around the car park blaring Taylor, I'm up for that. I'll do it. Would that qualify as hooning about? It might yes, do. Yes, it would. It, it would actually. Do. It would qualify as hooning about. This we is get a Tesco's fuck some shit exuberance. <laughs> We're all very old. I'm old for the purposes of this podcast, and that makes me feel weird. Wow. I'm not usually old. How is that? Old. I don't, I don't know if I am old or if I've just become old and cranky quicker than a lot of people who haven't just been abjectly miserable for the last 12 years. Mm. It's really hard to tell. It's very hard to get a baseline on that sort Yeah, of thing. I think my, my perkier contemporaries might still be a lot closer to this than I am. Possibly. Weirdly though, although it's not about music or musical experience, it's about participation in musical and youth culture. And there's a whole bunch of stuff we can dredge up about the fact that not only is the pop is the pop star a modern construct, but so is the teenager. But I, I don't want to go there pre- immediately. I Something I do think is interesting is that it very much appears to be about the music business, or at least the myth of the music business. Um, kind of the way, the way things are sold, the way things are presented, um, the way it interacts with journalism. And then there's this wonderful thing. So the first time we meet Anika... She's got her hand on a skull. Mm-hmm. And we don't see her much. And then when Lucifer starts to explain, he says something like, she finds us and cares for us and gives us the best advice. She does not give you the best advice. When Care meet, for you is questionable yes. also. When, when she meets you, she's got her hand on a fucking skull. Lucifer, when you tell Laura that she gives you the best advice, you are sat in a fucking prison cell. Admittedly because you didn't listen. Mm. But... Something has gone... Maybe she does give the best advice and you just ignore it. Or it, it could be horribly 
um, sarcastic in tone. Not yeah, clear. True, not clear. Well, but I think Luc- that- Lucifer is the spirit of a mm. rebellion against authority yeah. in this world, so is not going to do. But I the think the way that's constructed plays quite nicely to the myth of the gullible young artists and the predatory management. Yeah. You think she's a sort of celestial Colonel Parker? I think it's one of the possibilities, and I think we're invited to consider it. You know, the music business has gone all a bit Silicon Valley lately, in that One Direction are now investing in bands and hoping to make a return on that. It's... You know, they've invested in so-and-so, and and if they get big next year, they'll invest in someone else, and by 2017, they might have 20p. That's that's an expression of capitalism that exists in the world. I was was a lot happier when there was just jaunty moppets. Yeah, I learned this over Christmas. It's amazing talking to actual young people. Do you know what? (coughs) Back in the day, if you wanted to get ahead in, in, in the music industry... You moved to Berlin with David Bowie. You'd suck him off occasionally. He would do backing vocals on your next album and everything worked out fine for everyone. And there wasn't really any cocaine. Plenty of heroin, but... Tons of heroin. No no yeah. cocaine. And that was what you needed, definitely. Just tons of heroin. The, the heroin was incidental. It's and... just a more innocent time, taking heroin and sucking off David Bowie. While he did backing vocals on your album. Yeah. That's how they hit some of the high notes. Velvet Goldmine. Yeah, well, okay, so I know you said you did You can talk about Velvet Goldmine a bit. It is Velvet Goldmine to an extent. The first issue is absolutely Velvet Goldmine, and it treads through some of the... There are even some visual borrowings. The um, eye makeup is very Aladdin Sane. Yeah, and her... um, Laura leaving the house to go to the gig is quite similar to the, some of the establishing shots. and it's, it's, There's plenty of stuff in common. There's this thing about the fan experience, and the fan experience that leads the lone superfan to get close to their idol, to get involved in some of their travails. And it, I don't know. It's, this is pretty superficial, but I think there are some analogues there. Okay. I hate that film. I really like that film. I think it's tremendous film. But... Charming Tosh. Charming Tosh, and I very much want to bone Velvet Goldmine era Jonathan Rhys Myers. Another man fucked up by heroin. Full of heroin. Mm. Really? Full of heroin. You see what heroin has brought you? (laughs) If you You were recommending it earlier. Huh? A more innocent time, you said. I'm still recommending it. You like the results. (laughs) The bounty of of smack. He's sexy Henry VIII. He's so full of heroin, you could put him up your ass and he'd count as a bag. If you're going to an airport. It's problematic. Do not smuggle Jonathan Rhys Myers inside you. I don't introduce believe, him to the anal canal. So we probably don't have time to go into absolutely everything that we want to, because at some point everyone's going well, to stop listening. I can't I believe that yesterday home. was the first time I got the red-handed joke. I'm sad about that. Which joke is that? The, it might just be my mad colour vision, but the, some of the character uh, Lucifer's hand being shown as red when they click and the judge's head explodes. The red right hand. And just red-handed. Right. Mm. Um, I don't know. I don't, I don't really get that. There are lots of little visual jokes. Shards and shards. You're doing better than me and I have full colour vision. Well, I might have got it wrong and then imagined the pun based on knowing that it's full of puns. It could be a green hand. Yeah. You got the innocence lost and found thing, so that, yeah. was, that was good. That was really fast. I didn't get it until I finished reading the book, so... Yeah, but I'm still making up from the Loki Lysmith thing. Jesus Christ, yeah, that was pretty bad. That was pretty bad. So, 
There's a few things that, I mean, we're still quite early into the book. They reckon there's going to be about 30 issues. But the stuff that I would like to sort of go into in my sort of mad myth nerd thing. Um, why the resurgence is actually a useful way of, if it's there to inspire people, why would the resurgence be the way of doing it? Mm. You also have a certain, sort of, you know, there's the mm. anarcho propaganda aspect, you know, that's yeah. what she's saying it's for. Yeah. Is there an I suspect that's an aspect of it. What sort of, um, why are the gun Christians so apt to get them? Yeah. That's just dropped. It's there in issue one and never referred to again. Yeah. What sort of, um, cultural figures would sort of predate it. So you've got the romantics, obviously, mm. in the portrait gallery, and you've got jazz stars who are sort of... They're nothing like pop stars, the, the mm. sort of post-World War II pop star thing, but they are recording artists that people knew. Before the romantics, I'm actually struggling for any useful posse that anyone could have. You don't have on. mass communication at that yeah. point, and you have localised things. Do we get a fucking Shakespeare, Kit Marlowe, oh Ben God. Johnson oh type of thing? We Fighting crime! Do. We probably do. Pew, pew. We probably Jacobean do. Jacobean motherfuckers. Yeah, we Just get, we get the up. Shakespeare Sandman done, wicked. Well, it's, it's early 10th century, right? Mm-hmm. So we early, it's early, so we'll be 17, not very much, next. And then 16, not very much, which does get you Shakespeare and Arsene Marlowe Shakespeare, and, yeah. yeah. Doesn't get you Marlowe. No. Does do we it, get a seed drill at any point? I don't know if it gets you Marlowe. I'm not I'm not one of you people. Do you get him and Spencer? I mean literary times. No, not, too early. Too early. Much too early. More early mid sixteenth. Hmm. You, want you just want a fairy queen. Yeah. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, I don't know what the mid phase is. I don't know what the early seventeen hundreds looks like. A lot more grass and trees. Mm. Anyway, you were saying... Do we have do we have a restoration excess stage oh, restoration yeah, comedy type yeah. of oh, dealy that, that fucker um, that fucker yeah that yeah. exact fucker oh, and, and Rochester it's not yes. always necessarily going to be in Western culture either true true and um, not necessarily performative art yeah no. but given that that's the sort of the thing they are I mean if they could tie the Renaissance into it that would make a certain sense. Yes. Yeah. Um, Let us fuck off to Italy. Let's. And there's plenty of stuff for the Renaissance. There's plenty of stuff before that as mm. well. Um, there are. You, that, that you could probably squeeze in something around the, um, the Chinese court or whatever. And, yeah. For many, many centuries. Mm. Anyway, sorry. So that's yeah. That's what I would uh, I would like to know is why why does it take this format? It's probably not just because it's useful for creating a plot line. What the hell's an anchor up to with that? Um, and do we have a do, sorry? Do we um, have any promise of return to previous pantheons? Yes. Okay. Yeah, we do because they're taking time out to so that McAlvey can draw phonogram three, during which time other artists are going to fill in on this. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'd like to know that, and I'd like to know what sort of human influence there is in the gods in the versions of the gods that mm. appear. If that's a thing that's going to get covered at any point. Because I find that interesting because I'm a massive nerd. What's been interesting for me is that in in talking this through with you guys, I've grown a greater and deeper appreciation for it than I had on my own sort of first couple of readings. So that's been useful. I mean, you guys filling me in on the myth stuff is massively useful because that's a 
a big blank spot for me. Yeah. When I first picked it up, a lot of my reaction, I, you, you remember this quick, was, oh, for fuck's sake. Yeah, but go on. Mm. Um, that's very much the sense of humour that's mm. always there. I mean, there's the phrase boom, 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 attributed as a quote to the Venga boys at mm. the beginning of the trade paperback. Um, proceeding, yes, that made Proceeding explicitly for explosions. Mm. The Faust Act. All yeah, of that stuff. Uh, it's, it's, One of the volumes is going to be called Commercial Suicide. Yeah. There's it's a gleefulness to the bad jokes and it sort of takes you out of things but I broadly forgive it. It's, I don't know, for me they're the bad jokes that were they my darlings I would have to kill them for the greater good. There's a little... There's a little too much enjoyment of one's own intellect for me, mm. but Which but I come down curator on this stuff. It gets parodied as well yeah. because um, certainly my reading of it was that a lot of the dumb stuff that Baphomet says is Gillen sort of mocking his own worst excesses, mm. um, particularly but when again like pointing. To it's the still doing it. Thing. It's yes, still it's doing still it. Doing it. It doesn't. The fact that you know it doesn't excuse it. Yes, but um, but yeah, I'm a puritan on that um, stuff. I, I can't stand half of Margaret Atwood for the same reason. Which half? Like left or right? The bottom bit, the, the legs bit. and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Those fucking smarmy legs. They are terrible. Sorry, Margaret. They are terrible. Just constantly river dancing for one thing. Yeah. The T.S. Eliot toilets thing, which is Pum, Puns are excellent, Baphomet is excellent, T.S. Eliot is an anagram of toilets. This is a thing that Baphomet knows. Yeah, mm. it's... Uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's what's going on there. There is a point in a later issue as well where Baphomet declares himself to be none more goth, which is uh, kind of a giveaway. The thing that's interesting for me is, and I've, I've always been interested in um, performative and emergent identity. I mean, especially around kind of gender and social performance and socialised, um, socialised gender. But um, there's, there is some very interesting stuff about self-definition and performance going on here, enacted through kind of the performance of the stars, the performance of the fans, the relationships of the deific identities and aspects, the misconceptions around what, what, what sort of god you are, where you come from, origin, what you're fleeing when you perform something. There's a lot of, it's, there's an extent to which what we're looking at here is just a fascinating, very colourful exaggeration of fairly standard teenage identity games. Mm -hmm. Um, I think about my own dalliance with high camp as a teenager. Um, it's there's there's some stuff there that I find quite interesting, and I'm curious to see where it goes. Um, then there's then there's the big wider contextual stuff. It, it, I'm interested in the structure and rules of the fictional world. What what is going on? What what are they building here? What is what is the framework in which all of this stuff will end up existing? Um, it's also beautiful. It's a delight to read because McKelvey always, always McKelvey. A um, lot of, lot of detail in there. I like the sense of humour, but it does make me go, "Oh, for fuck's sake!" and then smirk anyway. Mm. Um, you know, in places it feels like maybe it's not quite as smart as it thinks it is, but it is still tremendous fun. Yeah, very true. But yeah, I think it's, as I think about a lot of things, I think one of the things that's going on here is that it's a big dumb thesis about performance identity. Or the performance of identity. And imposture, actually, which I didn't get onto and we don't have time for. 
But we will have more elaborate notes on the website. We may well do that. The site of web. I wrote five pages of notes for this thing and we didn't scratch them down from being right and put them on the website. We just talked about horseshit and budgies. The battery in my Surface died so I couldn't get to some of mine. I didn't make any notes, honestly. I read it like two days ago and I didn't make any notes. No, it's it's fine. I made made notes for you guys. I didn't read the notes. I read the notes. I will do. It's a bit late now. For general interest. Who do we think the missing god is? Last last little thing before we before we wind up. It's pretty. It's almost certain that one of them is Bacchus or Dionysus. I think, isn't it? Well, yeah. There there was a cover revealed of yeah. um, or some other wine god, but those are the obvious ones. Well, they've said it's about the crowd, which suggests more Dionysus than Bacchus. But which I also think um, is interesting because I think Dionysus is better known. But also, sorry, I, I think Bacchus is better known. Well, he did. Uh, he the, the way he's portrayed is he's bald and has laurels yeah. tattooed, which suggests Roman, which suggests Bacchus. But but if it's again aspects, it could be proper nasty, dangerous Dionysus, and I do like proper nasty, dangerous Dionysus. You think like a massive fucking death cult would be a bit on the nose, but mm. well, it's not necessary. Let's not let's not do this. We, okay. we don't need to get into the. It's mainland. another rabbit hole to get down. Basically, who's just the missing circle? Blood and tits everywhere. That sounds pretty good. The missing circle. I, I don't actually know. Um, um, given given how out there the gods have been so far, it could be almost anyone. Mm. Cesano is a candidate, and if it's not Cesano, then it's, we have more questions. It's, pr- yeah, it's probably Cesano, but difficult to say. I think there's there's all sorts of stuff. Um, it's worth noting, for instance, that um, I think Hindu mythos isn't really represented. That's true. Tara. Mm. Probably. Probably. Well, Tara's, Tara's there. Mm. We know she's already about. Mm. Um, because they're already getting annoyed. But it's her. definitely that version of Tara. She's the, blue, the, the person with the painted blue face that has appeared already. Mm. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so she's definitely okay, there. Okay, fair enough. Well then, any guesses? No, not a clue. The question frightened me, due to my ignorance. Mostly I just couldn't name another god because my mind's gone completely blank because it's like eight o'clock and I would like to go home. Okay, let's, let's all let's go home. Let's, let's all, all go, go home. home. To our individual homes, not just to Roger's house. Not just to one. To burn it. One big house where we all live when we're not doing the podcast. Yeah, it's, it's like... <laughs> Preserve really. the illusion. It's yeah. horrible. <laughs> Yeah, it's like rainbow, except no one ever tidies up. The food's amazing, though. You should see the recycling bin. Clinkity clink. Good night. Adios. Anon. And if you enjoyed this hour of acoustic cock splash, you can join us for the next podcast. Two hours of acoustic cock splash, you can join us for the next podcast, where we will take your questions and solve your life problems as agony and...